Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good morning. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, yeah, I just want to welcome you. If, if this is your first time or if you're joining us online, uh, it's, it's good that you're with us. Um, I hope and pray that your Easter week was great. The Lord blessed us with some good weather, right? Felt like spring. Praise God. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged uh, last Sunday to be together, to worship together, and to remember the resurrection of our Lord. Um, Pastor Tony was such a, a blessing um, in reminding us of the significance of the resurrection. This morning, I'm excited uh, to bring the word to you. Um, I believe the Lord has placed a word on my heart that in many ways is a response to what we just celebrated last Sunday, a response to the message of Easter. And so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. As you're getting there, um, I just want to share some context before our passage. Um, So the Apostle Paul writes the, the letter of Colossians to the church uh, of Colossae. And um, this, this city was amidst the, the Roman Empire at that time. And they were in the midst of a very pagan, very worldly culture. In fact, just before the passage that we're about to read, um, the Apostle Paul warns the Colossians against um, falling into temptation to becoming like the world around them. He warns them against falling into the philosophies and the traditions of the Romans. It was a temptation for them to become like the world, to think like the world, to believe like the world, to act like the world. And so that's kind of where we arrive to our text in Colossians 3. This is what Paul says. He says, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What a powerful text that we get to read and hear from this morning. This text is full of truth. It's really not that long of a passage, but there's so much here. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take um, some time to really bring out these truths, really unpack this text. And then after that, I pray the Lord will um, allow us to hear and apply its meaning to our lives. Will you pray with me? Father God, we come before you and we thank you so much coming off of this Easter season for the resurrection of Jesus. And through him we have life eternal. I pray, Father, that now as we read your word and hear from you, would you um, take it and apply it to our lives um, by your spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen, amen. So let's dig in. Verse one. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, 
Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Paul opens up this paragraph with what we call a conditional clause. Typically, it looks like this. If, then, right? If this, then this. If you are this, then you do this. If you do this, then this will happen. That's a conditional clause. And that's what he opens up with. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Let's look at this first half. If you've been raised with Christ. What does that phrase mean? To be raised with Christ. We just celebrated it this past Sunday when we remembered the fact that Jesus died in our place and was raised to everlasting life. To be raised with Christ means to have received new life through him. To receive new life through Jesus' work. It points to the glorious truth that everyone who has put their faith in Christ has been raised to new life with Jesus. And this is the gift of the gospel, right? It's not, it's not old life continued. It's new life altogether New life through Jesus Christ. And so in essence here, Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, right? If you are a new creation, if you have put your faith in Christ and been made new, then what? Then seek the things that are above. What does this second phrase mean? Seek the things that are above. What is above? Is it, is it just some abstract space over our heads? Is, it, is he saying look into the heavens, look into the skies? He makes very clear what he means by look to the things above. He says, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Where Christ is. Integrity Church, where is Christ? Heaven. Yes, he's in heaven. So what's Paul saying here? Seek the things of heaven. Seek the kingdom of heaven. And then he, he adds to it where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seated at the right hand of God. This phrase is used oftentimes throughout the scripture and when you see it, what it's typically pointing to is this reality that A, Jesus is alive right now, and B, he's triumphant. He has been exalted. He is at the right hand of God, victorious over everything. And so guess what? Seek the things above is what Paul says. Seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, alive and triumphant, he continues in verse two, he says, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. So Paul just tells them, seek the things that are, are above. Now he says how to do that. He says, set your minds on the things that are above. How do we seek something? How do we look for something? It's probably a good idea to start by like getting our minds set on that thing. 
right? If, if, we're, if we're looking for something without our heads, without our minds, we're not gonna go very far and we're certainly not gonna find, right? And so Paul says, set your minds on the things above. In the Greek language, there are no less than three words that we translate minds. In other words, when you read the New Testament and you see the word mind, it could be three different words in the Greek. All three of them are related, but they have different meanings. The word we see here, the word minds, specifically refers not to the abstract body part of the mind, not just like the head, it talks about the output of the mind. It talks about the worldview. One scholar describes it as the reflection of one's priorities, convictions, and beliefs. And so Paul, in this command, calls the, the Colossians to set their minds, their priorities, their convictions, their beliefs, everything that governs the way that they live and think, they are to set their minds on the things of heaven, the things above, not on the things of earth. To the Colossians, this meant that they were not to conform to the worldview of their culture. They were not to prioritize what their society prioritized. They were not to, to think or believe or act like the world around them. Instead, they were to think and believe and act according to God's truth, according to not the world's worldview, but a heavenly worldview. In the next verse, Paul gives them two reasons why they should do with it, why they should do this, why they should seek the things of heaven. Verse three, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul has already opened up this whole paragraph by saying, you've been raised with Christ, right? Well, if we have been raised with Christ, it means the old us has died. The old person has died. Someone who is alive isn't raised to life. Someone who died is raised to life. And that is exactly what happened. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul is telling us here. The moment that we put our faith in Jesus and we surrender to him as Lord and Savior of our lives, a miracle happened. We died. The old us died and we were made completely new. New people, new creations in Christ Jesus. He says, for you have died pointing to the reality we've exchanged our old life for a new life in Christ he says your life that is your life now is hidden with Christ in God the new life that we have as Christians the new life we have in Christ is a life that is so bound to Jesus so wrapped up in who he is that Paul says you are hidden in him. You are hidden in Christ. The best way that I could illustrate this is through the institution of marriage, 
which is God's institution, by the way. When a husband and a wife get married, everything changes. Everything changes about them in such a way that the two become one, right? When they are at the altar and they exchange their vows and rings and then they walk off of the altar, what does the pastor, the priest say? He says, I introduce you, Mr. and Mrs. the name of the groom. Mr. and Mrs. Adam Smith. Right? One flesh is what he's getting at. Consider the bride. She walks in with a completely different identity than she walks out with. Right? After they exchange vows and they are wed, she takes the last name of the groom. And she's brought into the family, not only physically, but legally. The two become one flesh. My, my mother, Laura Helm, does not exist today. My mom, Laura Balsamo, exists today. Thank God, right? She's great. But so it is with us. You put your faith in Christ, you die, and you're made new. You're joined to Jesus. You are the bride of Christ, is what the Bible tells us. You are no longer the old self. You are a new creation, united to Jesus, hidden in Christ, and you have no life apart from him. You have died and been raised with him. And therefore, Paul says to the Colossians, seek the things that are above, not the things of your old life. You've died. You are a new creation with a new hope and a new future. And that's where Paul goes in this final verse, verse four. He says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is the hope that we have. This is the future of every person who has been united to Christ. That they will forever be with Christ, the source and substance of your life, forever. You'll be with him. Now Paul specifically points out the time where Jesus will return to this earth and establish his kingdom and rule and reign He says, you're gonna be with him. You're gonna be with him. That is your future. Your destiny is to be with Christ in glory. Therefore, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Don't set your minds on the things of earth. You've been raised to new life in Jesus. You're a citizen, not of this world, but of heaven. Seek the things of heaven. Seek the things of Christ. The reality is this command was extremely needed for the Colossians in the midst of their culture, in the midst of their world. They needed a reminder to seek the things above, not to seek the things of the world. But Integrity Church, I'm telling you, I believe we need to hear this message even more than they did. Because the reality is We also live in the world and it's gotten only worse since the time that the Colossians were living. 
The world we live in is messed up right now. Turn on the news for just a few minutes and you'll see it. Not only that though, the world is godless. The truth of the Bible, the truth of God's word does not reign here in America regardless whether we have in God we trust on the dollar bill or not. Just look around. It does not. It does not rule. Every single day we see the truth that God has set being attacked. We see it being attacked in, with, with gender. People attacking the institution of marriage. People attacking the sanctity of life and sex and all these different truths that God has ordained and set forth. The world is attacking it day by day. Seems like the time we're living in is a time where everybody does what's right in their own eyes. That's what it says in Judges. It describes the time of Judges in the book of Judges. It's a time when everyone does what's right in their own eyes. We live in a culture that doesn't believe in truth. We live in a culture that believes that truth is subjective, it's based on how you feel. What the Bible calls sin. Our culture not only tolerates, but embraces and exalts. Integrity Church, don't buy these lies. Do not compromise the truth of God's word. Do not let the culture lessen what the Bible calls sin. There is one truth it is Christ and His word. Perhaps more threatening to us, though, than these very clear attacks on God's word are a subtle little mentality deeply embedded in American culture today. It's a secular ideology. That is, I think, an even greater threat. I want to define secular for you this morning because sometimes we throw that word around and we forget what it means. Secular means empty of God, devoid of God. One definition I found described it as attitudes, activities, or other things that have no religious or spiritual basis. And so a secular ideology is a mindset in which God is unimportant or altogether absent. A secular ideology is a mindset in which God is either unimportant or altogether absent. At the center of secular ideology is not God, but is mankind. Secular ideology says everything is about me, is about I, is about the self. And this is the culture that we live in. This is the, the world we're surrounded with here is, is an ideology in which we, everything is about the self. It's about me. It's all about my own personal success, my own comfort, my wealth, my prosperity, my happiness, 
life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we all are entitled to it in our culture. In this culture, God is not supreme. God is an afterthought. In this type of a culture, he's treated like a commodity. And so God is altogether forgotten until tragedy happens. Until a man falls on a football field. Now everybody wants to cry out to God because they just need him for prayers. And then three days later, carry on. There's an obvious problem with this way of thinking. Mankind is not the center. I am not the center. I am not my own meaning and purpose. God is. Our lives are not about pleasing ourselves. It is about God, it is for God and by God. In him, we live and breathe and have our being. That's what the Bible says. We know this to be true as Christians. But Integrity Church, if we are not careful, we can easily forget. We can easily begin to buy the mentality of the world around us. And suddenly, it's not that big of a deal to skip a couple weeks at church. It's not that big of a deal to stop praying when you feel like you don't need to or stop being in the word when you feel like you don't want to. It's not that big of a deal to be a different person at work than you are at home, than you are at church or at school because you lose sight of the center, God. You lose sight of the fact that God is God, not you. And he's with you at all times, not just on Sunday. Brothers and sisters, do not cave into this, this pattern of thinking that the world models around us. God is not one of the items on your checklist. He is the Lord over you and your checklist. Contrary to what the culture says, God is not an afterthought. He is God. He is not to be put aside. He is to be exalted and worshipped. Holy, holy, holy as we sang. The kingdom above that Paul talks about is a society in which Christ is preeminent. He is supreme. He is the center of all life. A world where God is the center. He says, this is the, the heaven, the place, the kingdom to which you belong, Integrity Church. That is the world to which you belong. We were made on purpose for purpose, and that purpose is to know God, to walk with God, and to glorify him. That is why Jesus saved us, that we would know him, worship him, and be with him forever. Don't let the world influence your way of thinking. Don't let it soften the realities of heaven and hell, the reality of eternity, 
Don't push God from the center of your mind, from the center of your life. Because your life is hidden in Christ. You who you once were died. You're a new creation. And all of your life is for the glory of God now. I love the, West, the Westminster Confession, the shorter version. Article one, the question is this. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? And they answered together, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Don't you love that? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Forever. It's what we were made for. And this is the mindset that we're called to embrace as Christians. Maybe you're hearing this this morning and you're wondering, okay, how? How do I seek the things above? Well, I think in our passage, Paul gives us four great applicable points to help us seek the things of heaven. So we're gonna spend the rest of our time there. Four points to help us seek the things above. Number one, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Paul does this in the first verse. You've been raised with Christ. He continues, you've died and your new life is hidden in Christ He's telling the Colossians to remember who they are. And we must do the same. We must remember who we are. We must remember every single day the truth that we just celebrated last Sunday. That we have died. And with Christ, we've been risen to new life. This is the first step in seeking the things above is to know and to remember who you are in Christ Jesus. We must remind ourselves daily of this truth because the reality is we seek and do according to who we are. This morning I was reminded of a truth I stumbled across a couple of months ago. In the New Testament when Paul writes his letters and he greets Christians, do you know what he calls them? He doesn't call them sinners. He calls them saints. You know how many times Paul calls Christians sinners? You know how many times he greets them by calling them sinners? Not once. Not once. Why? Is it because they're not sinners? No. Obviously they sin. Paul knows that. But he's embracing this truth that we're talking about now Their identity is in Christ. They are saints. And so every time you read one of Paul's letters, he opens up to the saints of this church, to the saints, to the saints, to the saints. That's who you are. You're saints. 
And if, you're, if you are a saint, then we need to think like a saint. Second, set your mind above. Set your mind above. If we want to seek the things above, as Paul describes, we must set our minds above. We must set our minds on the things of God. I tell you, a Christian who will not set their mind is aimless and useless. They're not followers of Jesus. They are marksmen without a target. Setting our minds requires effort and action. It's not just going to come altogether natural for you. It's going to take a little sweat. It's going to take some effort. Now, thanks be to God, we actually can do this because the Spirit of God helps us. But don't think it's just going to happen if you don't do anything. Setting our minds requires effort and constant practice. In fact, both the words set and seek that we read in verse 1 and 2, both of those words are what we call in the Greek present, present imperative verbs. Say that to me. Present, present imperative verbs. Present imperative verbs. Okay. I'm going to tell you what a present imperative verb is. It is a command. It is a verb that is to be repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again over the course of a lifetime. Let me give you an example. You go to the doctor. They do some testing on you, basic tests. Your doctor comes to you and goes, oh boy, your cholesterol is not good right now. We got to fix that. You need to eat healthier. Does your doctor mean you need to eat a healthy lunch today and tomorrow and that's it? No. He means you need a lifestyle of healthier eating. And it's the same kind of command that we're reading here. Set your minds on the things above. Continually set your minds on the things above. Not just a one-time transaction, a continual practice, a lifestyle of setting your minds on the things above. So how do we do this? What are some practical ways to set our minds above? I'll give you four right now. Okay, here they are. First one, read the word. This isn't news. You've heard it before. There's a reason why you hear it all the time because it is absolutely essential that you know the word of God, that you know the word of God. Read the word and don't, don't just open and pick a random scripture verse and then skip to you know 100 pages to the next scripture verse. Don't just pull up the Bible app and read the verse of the day. Listen, that's okay stuff, but we need systematic reading of God's word. We need the whole counsel of God's word. Not just one little verse. The reality is, if you want to know the things of heaven, if you want to know the mind of God, you read his word. It's essential for the Christian. Second, related to it, memorize scripture. We don't always, we don't always have our Bibles on hand necessarily. 
And so all the more, it's important that we remember, that we memorize. It takes action, by the way. Just like you're studying for exam, memorize certain passages of scripture. This one that we just read today is a great one to memorize. Because when you find yourself distracted, Spirit of God, I can guarantee you, will bring you back to that verse. Set your mind on the things above, not on the meaningless things of life. We need to memorize scripture. Third, be in prayer. Every time that we pray, we are gazing to heaven. We are talking to God Almighty himself. And if only we would recognize that for a second, maybe our prayer lives would change. If you took a moment before you prayed to acknowledge, I'm, I'm talking to God right now, God Almighty who is in heaven, and he's hearing me. It will certainly set our minds on the things of heaven. So pray. And do it with thanksgiving. Don't just pray for your needs. That's super important. Pray for your needs. Ask that God gives you what you need. But pray with thanksgiving. All the time we're commanded to do that. Fourthly, be in church. Good job. You're here. Be in church. But I say this because the saddest reality of the Christian church today in the light of the pandemic is people don't value church. And that's a really big problem because you need to value church. If you value God, you value church. If you don't value the church, I wonder if you value God. Put plainly, that's hard to hear. But the reality is that the church is the kingdom of God. Not in its fullness, we know that, but it is the kingdom of God. You look around you to the left, to the right of you. You're looking at brothers and sisters. You're looking at the family of God who you will be with for eternity. You need one another. You need each other. You cannot survive without each other and God says this. Everything, the whole of scripture is given to a community of people, not one individual to live your personal walk out completely alone. Personal is important. We need our time with God, but you need people. You need the people of God. Not only that, you need to hear the word of God preached on a Sunday. You need to hear and sing the word of God together in song. It's 100% absolutely essential for the believer and by this the Lord sets our minds on the things of heaven so there you have it four very practical things to be implementing in your life some of you or hopefully most of you are doing at least some of these let's increase and grow together and do all of them and do all of them more because the reality is that the spirit of God uses these things to set our minds on the things of God. And if we are not proactive, we will be inactive. Thirdly, we must remove distractions. We must remove distractions. 
We all know it. We're in a world full of distractions, advertisements, banners, notifications, constantly fighting for your attention, and most of which is meaningless content that they're offering. This is the will of the enemy, is to distract you with things that do not matter, things of the earth. And sadly, in our world, in our churches, Satan has been very successful in distracting many. I see too many Christians today walking through life with their heads down, just completely distracted, brought to and fro by different distractions, losing sight of what matters, losing sight of God. We need to examine our lives and consider consider the things that are hindering us from seeking God. Now we all have different ones because we're different people. But I think some, we all share. So I'll share a couple of mine. This thing, this vice, ironically called a device, Some people just got that. (laughs) It's funny until we realize it takes six to ten hours a day from God, not just from us. We will not seek the things of heaven if we are 10 hours, four hours, six hours stuck on this thing. I'm not saying that this is Satan himself. This is a tool that can be used for good. Oh, but Satan will also use it as a tool if we let him. Not only these, but endless hours of Netflix and TV, social media, it's not good. It will not set our minds on the things of heaven. Watching the news three and a half hours in the evening, besides the fact you're going to be depressed after that, it's not going to set your minds on the things of heaven. And so I'm not saying throw out all these things altogether, although you might have to, by the way, I'm just going to say it. But we need to at least examine our hearts. And we need to consider the things that are hindering us from seeking what truly matters. Another one is busyness. We live in a culture full of busyness. Everybody is constantly on the move. I mean, we don't live in the city, but this is pretty much the state that never sleeps, right? Constantly, on the go, here and there, here and there, here and there. And we bring it into our homes, our work. Now I would be the first to say God calls us to work. But so many 
let work become all-consuming. So many spend way too much time thinking about the things of work and then when this happens, I promise you, you will quickly begin to take your minds off of God. Work will become an idol. It has become an idol in past. Just a little later in Colossians 3, Paul says, whatever you do, work heartily, work heartily unto the Lord. And so we're all for work, right? But do not let your work take your heart from God. We all have influences in our lives, things that hinder us from looking up, whether this be habits, whether this be people, or just things. We need to guard our minds from these things and remove distractions. Lastly, we must remember our future. Remember your future. Remember the future that you have in Jesus, the eternity that lies ahead of you. Paul reminds them of this. He says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. Remember, Integrity Church, that you are an heir of the kingdom of God. Remember that eternity awaits you and, it's, and this time on earth is very small compared to eternity. When Christ returns to rule this earth, you will be with him. That is what matters. So think on these things and remember your future because the more that you embrace this hope that we have, the less we're gonna be drawn to the temporary things of the world, the more we'll be drawn to look to God. I'm reminded of the beautiful hymn from Helen Lamel. It's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. You've heard it before. It was Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't that beautiful? It's the reality. Look to Christ. Look to him. Remember your future. Remember who you are in Christ. Set your mind above. Remove earthly distractions and remember your future. Integrity Church, he is risen as we celebrated last Sunday. So look up. Look up. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we give you thanks in light of Easter for the gift of your son. Thank you for his life, his death, and his resurrection through which we have also died and been raised to new life. Father, thank you that we are citizens of heaven, that you have brought us into your family and call us children. God, I pray that we would embrace this truth and live according to it every single day, this day forth and forevermore. 
We love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.